Hello and welcome to the Skylines Academy Demystifying DevOps session. Uh, if you're just joining the series, our goal, as you probably know, is to answer all these questions around DevOps, number of students getting into DevOps, infrastructure people, development people, or really trying to understand what's going on in this space. And just like previous episodes, I am joined by Shannon Keen, uh, who will be co-hosting with me again. Uh, so Shannon, why don't you introduce yourself? And then if you'd be so kind as to introduce our guest, uh, Ryan. So I'm Shannon Keen. I'm uh, a senior cloud advocate on the enterprise platforms and tools team. So we focus a lot with community outreach, talking about how to make your enterprise uh, platforms move into Azure with ease. And uh, prior to this role, I worked with Ryan Berry. Ryan Berry is a principal cloud solution architect on the national CSA team. So when I was trying to make sense of how Azure DevOps works in general, I leaned on Ryan quite a bit. And given what we're trying to uncover for students, I kind of thought, well, gosh, there's an awesome person I know who always has an example or two that he can walk folks through. So uh, Ryan, thanks for joining. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so to kick things off, um, just to kind of recap, we've obviously had a lot of sessions recently trying to, you know, everything from culture, people, process, technology, all those things. I think, Ryan, to kick uh, things off for you, you know, we keep hearing, you know, administrators are eager to learn more about, you know, building DevOps pipelines. We hear in this, you know, everybody that's been on the previous episodes, how do they build a pipeline? And so in thinking through some of your, you know, working examples with customers in the space, you know, where do you start in the process of just automating like server admin tasks? Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent question. You know, so in in working with a lot of a lot of customers that um, that I've engaged with, um, you know, the the product name just by sheer nature has the word dev in it, and invariably, uh, you know, the the infrastructure folks that that tend to have to be responsible for building uh, environments out or in the traditional data center world, you know, racking and stacking, installing operating systems, configuring them, all that kind of stuff. Um, tend to be, I don't want to say turned off entirely, but, uh, you know, they look at it as a tool that is, uh, you know, perhaps more geared towards a developer and not containing capabilities that could benefit them. And I believe there are a number of features both in Azure DevOps and in GitHub that, um, that can facilitate keeping environments consistent. You know, we have a lot of different paths that and we can maybe talk about some of those that you can use for being able to maintain some level of consistency you know, it's not uncommon for customers to have a huge pool of servers to be able to host a, a web application if it's a, a large public facing site or, or maybe many tiers of applications. We have app servers and web servers. Um, and invariably there's some complexity in, in maintaining and in deploying new versions of software to those. And um, also in making sure that they're all maintained uh, in a consistent or configured in a consistent manner. And that's where I think DevOps can really shine to help, not just with the act of building and releasing, but taking that code forward and deploying it into various environments and configuring the servers that they sit in. Yeah, that makes sense. And just to hit on that a little bit, uh, you know, you know, somebody starting out, like what are, what are the main features of Azure DevOps? Is it a, you know, people wonder, is it a product in itself? Is it a collection of products? And, you know, where do you kind of see the, the tool fitting in today? Sure, yeah. Collection I, I have a slide here. Maybe I can just uh, share. I'll just share my entire screen because I have a whole bunch of stuff here. 
and and just to use this as a talking point, there's a, a lot of um, I can see my handy dandy. Yeah, you're good. You're good. Okay, there we go. So in a number of different uh, capabilities here that um, that Azure DevOps can bring to the table, including being able to help uh, you know program managers or project managers establish a plan around a project and being able to coordinate that plan about you know what features and functions need to be um, contained in a particular release. So you know there's capability as uh, you know, the ability to build customized dashboards on kind of what, you know, where the project is in its, um, you know, particular release sprint and what features are going to be planned to be incorporated in that release sprint. So it's a lot of, um, you know, uh, what I'd classify as, as project management type capabilities. And then, um, you know, you have the actual environment that the developers work in uh, to be able to manage source code, you know, versions of source code, you know, the, the branches that they might be building applications or new bits of functionality against um, and being able to maybe try new new capabilities without impacting you know the main uh, the main branch of code that that um, is actually deployed in the production so there's you know some capabilities that largely facilitate that collaborative development work environment that is typical amongst developer teams and then the the um, you know you have the the uh, monitor and learn capability, you know, to, to be able to take, you know, feedback from, um, uh, you know, releases that you've already done and being able to do you know, automated tests that might run against those releases and being able to take, you know, some of that, that information back and incorporate it to work items that are assigned to developers to be able to build new features or functions or repair items that might be broken. And then finally, uh, and actually I guess I went in reverse, but I realized it's number four. I, uh, the, 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 the one that I was going to focus on today, um, which maybe I purposely uh, saved for last is the release space, and that's where I think there's some very powerful capabilities that exist in um, in Azure DevOps to be able to help a uh, you know a, a a a operations or infrastructure team be able to facilitate taking that code that a team has built and getting it out into an environment where it can run. Very like this slide. It's actually yeah. a very simple view of uh, development on the left, the operations pieces on the right, and exactly. probably one of the best visualizations I've, I've seen to really, really help it yeah. help yeah. Uh, you know hit it home for people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. okay. You just try. I, I like to keep things simple. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the um, and, and you know, one other really interesting thing just to kind of highlight a a uh, a story uh, or an example, um, you can actually use, and I have customers doing this using just the release capability without any code. Um, and I have, I have many, many examples of this. So I can give you one specific one that I, I'm working uh, with a customer on right now where they have uh, you know, Power BI and, um, and some Databricks jobs. Okay. So things that you wouldn't, I mean, you know, yes, there's code associated with it, but you know, it's, it's report functions and some uh, you know, machine learning jobs that are written in, in Python. So I guess in that regard, there is some some code element to it. But, you know, the, this customer needed to be able to, you know, the, the, the team that was responsible for releasing this into an environment that their customers was using, uh, needed to be able to do that in a controlled way and also in a consistent way. Um, so they actually are taking these templates and actually, you know, using the release capabilities of DevOps to, uh, you know, to push those out into a production environment. And there's a whole bunch of benefits that that provides. You know, first off, now, now they have a controlled way to do that. You know, so somebody has to actually say, okay, I'm ready for this particular change to go out into, you know, environment X. Um, 
and uh, um, some other interesting things I can talk about in the environment X when we get into the demo. Um, and the other other aspect that that um, that, that comes into play is that um, they have a a bold amb ambitious uh, goal, and and I and I encourage a lot of my customers to to think about this, and not having a human have access to the production environment. So the only thing that can actually deploy or change the artifacts that are in the production environment is Azure DevOps or, or GitHub Actions. Mm. Um, and that's, a, you know, that, that's, that's kind of hard to sometimes get your, your, your um, arms around, you know, when you, you know, well, so easy to go on the portal and create a new server. Yeah. Yes, it is. But in a production man, you know, the environment, you don't want your administrators is doing that or making changes to, you know, you have a pool of 30 web servers and changing, you know, 10 of them and leaving 20 of them, uh, you know, in some other inconsistent state. Um, so, you know, the, the benefit of using some release automation allows you to control um, permissions, you know, for, you know, so things like uh, usernames and passwords, you know, the actual DevOps release pipeline is the only thing in this, in this customer's environment he has the ability to go out to, to keep alls to get those credentials, populate them in, in connection streams, and then push it into the production environment. So, um, so in that use case, and so you advocate, so they would you know figure out their pipeline, their release, and everything out in dev and stage. And maybe those are some subscriptions they have access to, correct, yeah. but then maybe their environment, you know, maybe this PII data and everything else in there. And um, but they wouldn't release their updates there. They would go through the pipeline, release to production. Uh, and they they just don't even have access to the production subscription exactly. right at that point you know yeah. maybe they've got pim tools if they ever need to for some operational tasks but but releases would would be through that it, it, exactly so okay. so the the actual act of running the release in any of these tools you know github or devops you know there's identities that that tool those those products use to be able to reach out to different environments and and that's where they that's their access control boundary so okay. somebody has to approve that release so some managerial set of individuals have to say, okay, we're ready to actually go. And then DevOps does this thing. Very cool. So it sounds like you've got a lot of examples, right? Mm -hmm. and I always went to you and I had questions, you know, how could I think about ways in which of this working? So what are some of the more interesting problems that you solved using this type of framework? Yeah. So, so good question. I, I, um, I'll, I'll give you actually, um, I kind of have a, uh, a demo. Um, and I'll just use it. There's a lot of different ways you can build pipelines in, um, uh, in Azure DevOps and, and, you know, using YAML files. And I, I'm going to, I defer to using the, the, uh, what we call the classic mode just because it's graphical. Um, so, there, you know, no, no rhyme or reason other than just easier to show and kind of, you know, highlight instead of looking at YAML. Yeah. There's so much power in just a graphical UI for people <laughs> exactly. still, I think, to understand what's going on, right? <laughs> exactly. So, um, what, and I'll walk through this a little bit more, but what this is actually, what this was for uh, is a, a customer who had, um, had made some migrations of a public-facing platform they had into Azure App Services, which is, if you don't know, you know, a, a receptacle we have to be able to host web applications. And, and that worked very well for them. Uh, but a component of that platform stack involved a number of, let's just call them compute VMs. And they were very large VMs, you know, um, 64, actually they had some that were 96, 120. They were very large beefy machines that needed to do um, some processing, some simulations behind the scenes. 
and the user would basically, uh, you know, the, the flow would go, user would interact with the web app to say, all right, well, I want to submit this simulation. That job would get submitted to a whole bunch of backend machines that actually do that work. So the challenge with that is in the, in the web app, in the Azure app service world, is that those environments aren't really conducive to running. Uh, well, first of all, we don't have an environment that has that many processors or, or that much RAM. Um, so, and secondly, um, you know, they're, they're not really well suited for running very large compute jobs. So they needed to have a, a uh, infrastructure as a service environment to deploy this into. Okay. Well, this brought forward some interesting elements. So this, this organization, um, you know, like many organizations that you may work with have, um, you have some, some internal requirements and kind of just call them politics and bureaucratic red tape around a, any situation where a server is involved has to fall under another team that has to be domain joined and has all kinds of other rigmarole that has to go through. So their goal they came to me was we really need a, a kind of a PaaS platform as a service type manner to deploy servers and basically treat them like cattle. Um, you know, we don't want them to be domain joined. We want them to be in an isolated network. The only thing that can access them is, you know, the web tier that actually submits jobs to them. And there's a queue in the middle that basically decouples that even. Um, and they wanted to be able to deploy their, their software, which is a Windows service, onto n number of machines. And every month when we have, you know, come after Patch Tuesday, when we update all of their VM images, they just wanted to flush them down the toilet and recreate a new environment and deploy their application to that. Um, so um, what we did is uh, we use a, a, um, a solution in Azure called VM scale sets that actually allows you to create pools of VMs that are identical to one another. And this, uh, this DevOps pipeline actually creates that VM scale set. Um, so down here is actually, um, this is actually running an ARM template um, you know, the infrastructure as code uh, template that actually builds out the VM scale set. So, you know, all the VMs and in, in this isolated, um, disconnected virtual or uh, uh, virtual network that the machines sit in. Okay. Um, and then it takes um, the, the prior elements are actually taking the application, you know, the, the Windows service, um, packaging it up as a zip file, uploading that to a, an Azure storage account. I create a... Uh, um, a, a SAS token for the a storage account. Um, and then I pass in uh, a bunch of variables to that ARM template. You know, the, the name of the zip file, the storage account that it's in, and the uh, uh, storage account key. So, um, so this worked very well to, to you know, in, in a greenfield environment to deploy uh, their application and to create, you know, build out the infrastructure. Um, and then what we did is we use another capability called desire state configuration. Um, so once the machine boots up, um, there's an extension that is deployed onto that. So let's just you know, think of that as a, um, you know, some some uh, capability that Azure allows you to sprinkle into that VM after it's deployed, and that uh, desired state configuration allows us to uh, basically run what amounts to some PowerShell script to actually tell the machine how to configure itself. Um, and in our case, I can actually go and, and show you um, show you some of the uh, code here. Um, so, 
Oh, you're bringing that up. So on the left, yeah, these are all the different services, you know, just for, for people joining in, right? So you've got boards, which is for planning, repos, where you're storing all your code, right? That could be GitHub too, if we wanted to and pull from. Um, but this is, these are kind of all the Azure DevOps services, right, on the, on the left. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, if I make it, so what this is actually is, uh, let me scroll over here a little bit. Um, so what this actually, this is a desire state configuration template, and I'm just going to kind of walk through um, the important bits. So you can actually see what this is actually doing is it's downloading the application from uh, from the storage account, um, and then it's uh, removing uh, the the Windows service, and then adding, um, you know, reinstalling using the uh, the .NET install util. Uh, the the updated service. So so this this desire state configuration script works for um, uh, you know, servers that are brand new that are, are that don't have anything installed. So it'll install this application on it, um, and it will also work on an environment that are, already exists. So when they want to uh, update their service and actually deploy it to their application, uh, they can actually do that without having to you know tear down the entire environment and redeploy it. So so this actually worked in both ways. Okay, so you're actually defining the config, the .NET framework. I saw like you had NVIDIA drivers there yes, and stuff yeah, as well, yeah, right? These like, were these were very high end machines that had GPUs in them as well. So, okay. so that was another requirement to be able to get the NVIDIA driver on there. So so it did all of that as part of the deployment. Okay, um, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and then you use DSC here, but if somebody wanted to use Puppet, Chef, Ansible, those are all valid. Pick, pick valid your tool of to choice, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Um, yeah, tell us more, going back to the pipelines, so you've got like, you know, and we were talking about this on a previous episode, you've got kind of pipelines, you've got releases. Mm -hmm. How do you sort of explain the difference to people? And I know there's kind of the more unified YAML pipeline that you were kind of referring to as well. Sure. Yeah. So, so the uh, pipeline, and I'll go to this other project um, as another talking point. So this, um, uh, this pipeline and get my, uh, Move that to the other screen here. Um, so this pipeline is actually building my code. So this is a a, wind, a, a web application uh, written in .NET Core. Um, so this this pipeline section of Azure DevOps is um, all of the tasks required to build my application. So I've got you know restoring all of, all of the um, the packages that my application has dependencies on, building it. Uh, running a, a bunch of test automation against it, um, and then publishing the artifact into Azure DevOps to be accessible by things like release pipelines. Um, and I have another um, another task in here. Uh, White Source is a good partner of ours that is uh, uh, you know provides some ability to look at all all of the packages that are used in your in your project, uh, whether it be .NET, Java, you know whatever your application is written in. And it will help you in uh, in maintaining some levels of compliance. So, like if there becomes a vulnerability in some jQuery library that I'm using as an example, it will to that um, or to you know my leadership, the project team, the, the development team to be able to help you keep to keep better tabs on that. So, I've got a task in here to be able to do that too. Okay, and so all of this is uh, like if you're in Visual Studio and you're doing your build, um, essentially is kind of kind of this part of this the process. Yeah, we're making that, and then we go to releases uh, when we want to, you know, push push that out to the wild, right? That is correct. Yep, yep. Um, in it, in so this project is actually um, another interesting 
uh, demo that's it's not quite as complex as maybe the maybe I should have started with this one instead of the other. The other one was more of a, a real customer example, and this is yeah. a, uh, just a simplified example. Um, and I have a couple different um, uh, different release pipelines. So this I'm, I'm going to start with this one, and this one is a a um, uh, actually, I have a bunch of other tasks I was playing with. I, I use this to kind of test a bunch of things, but but the reality is this particular pipeline has one task in it. Take this application and deploy it to a Azure app service. So this is the okay. PaaS approach. You know, really, really simple. Just taking uh, taking the output from my build and uh, publishing that to an app service. And is this actually deploying the app service, like actually that, deploying that the infrastructure, yep. and then you just link into the the previous build pipeline? Is that correct? That, that, Whatever it correct. spits out, and then we we deploy it. Yeah. So. Yep, yep. So there's a connection here that I'm actually uh, referencing the, um, and actually you can even see it in the pipeline. This is actually the artifacts from okay. my from my build that I just showed you. Okay. So I, I call the drop. So. Yeah, and I think this is great because when you sort of piece it together like this, you know, back to your simple slide that you had there, it's kind of, yeah, developers kind of building applications, mm -hmm. you know, ops team or infrastructure teams that are kind of growing up into the, the DevOps world are kind of focused on how do I get this infrastructure out? Um, I, think, I think it's a great way to start. Where would you tell somebody, maybe if they come in from an infrastructure background and they, they're building their very first pipeline, what would you advise them to try to do? Is there a task you'd say, like, try to, is it build a VM? Is it, you know, what, what is it? Is it, is it build some other service out there? Sure. So, so, and actually this, this particular, um, so this is the same application. I just showed you the one that goes to app service, and this is actually deploying it to VMs. And this is okay. where things get really interesting, I think, or, or powerful, I should say. Um, I'm just going to open it. This has many more tasks in it. Um, and, Instead, uh, you see that there's no task here to deploy to an app service environment. This is deploying to VMs. Okay. And more specifically, it's deploying to VMs that have no connectivity to the internet. So the, you know, these are on a private network. They happen to be in Azure, but they could just as easily been inside of a, a customer's environment. Right. So we have this concept. I'm going to go into my deployment group. And um, so you can see that I've got a couple uh, VMs in this deployment group. Uh, these are the, the ones that I've been playing with um, uh, more recently here. And we allow you to put agents onto those pieces of infrastructure. And, okay. Um, and there's a, the way you do that is just with a simple register. You can just pick whether or not uh, you want to deploy it to a Windows machine or to a Linux machine. Okay. And that's like an Azure DevOps agent then? So it's like yeah. registering it saying, hey, I'm available? Is that exactly. the concept? Okay. Yep. And the, the cool thing about this is that, I mean, you think about all the different ways that you can do automation against infrastructure, like PowerShell remoting. I'll just use that as, a, as an example on, on uh, Windows VMs. Probably wouldn't want to do that over, you know, from an environment that's sitting on the internet to infrastructure that you have inside of your, your data center for, as a possibility. Uh, it's probably not a good idea to open up uh, PowerShell remoting ports uh, to the outside world. Um, however, the, this agent is is outbound only. So it talks on 443 out to Azure DevOps to be able to see if it has work that needs to be performed. Okay. So super firewall friendly, um, you know, no need to worry about opening up ports and, and all the security ramifications that goes along with that. Um, and now that you have an agent on some number of machines, you can instruct those machines to do things like configure themselves with, with um, uh, worker pools and IS or to 
uh, you know, in this case, I'm actually telling them to, you know, if I go back to the, the pipeline here, um, go to edit here. Yeah, what I like about this is what you're saying there is, as you pull that up is these VMs are registered and now we can just push whatever config exactly. we yeah. want down to them, right? Like app team A could have this deployment group of VMs that they regularly push to, app team B could have another group of VMs. You know. Exactly. So, so Frank, have you ever worked with customers that have these VMs on-prem? Because this, this design would also work in terms of on-prem, right? So the only thing they have to have is would be some sort of site-to-site -site connectivity. Correct. Actually, they don't even need that. Oh, okay. They just need to, all, the only requirement is um, 440 outbound. And some customers, you know, work with some banks and some other highly regulated customers who, sure. uh, who don't have 443 outbound open, but they can selectively open it. So we tell you, we advertise, uh, we have some documentation that, that highlights what ports need to be open. Um, so that, so it's just outbound only. Doesn't matter where those machines set, could set another cloud provider on-prem in Azure, um, these machines happen to be in Azure. Um, and with this deployment task, um, this kind of goes to, to Nick's um, comment about being able to deploy to different, or targeting different groups of machines. Um, I have I had three machines that I have registered. Um, you can see it's, only, it's telling me only two of them will actually be deployed, because uh, I have a tag in here saying prod. And there's some interesting things you can do with this, um, where I have a customer who has uh, thousands, literally thousands of machines for a product that they host. And they can uh, do deployment saying, okay, you know, we have this early release. We want to be able to get it to all the customers that are in the, that are tagged as, as subscribing to our beta or early adopter ring um, or to all the customers in, in Asia. Um, so they can actually selectively target all of these machines and instruct them to, you know, pull down the latest build of their application um, you know, just by putting in different tags as part of their deployment. Yeah, what I really like about this too is, you know, a lot of times we end up in these DevOps conversations with people like, hey, do I need to deploy new infrastructure every single time? And, you know, this is clear, like the answer is, well, no, you can have deployment groups of VMs. We can have another pipeline, like you just showed earlier, mm -hmm. that deploys VMs, deploys scale sets, deploys Azure App Service. And I kind of think, you know, back to the question, like a lot of infrastructure teams, you know, maybe like pick the top three services your app teams use and build the pipelines to build those. But then... What I really like is this deployment group because you know even things like Kubernetes infrastructure is popular today. Sometimes somebody needs new AKS infrastructure. Sometimes they need a new namespace, and we can kind of have you know different workflows um, for, for exactly. both of those. So, yeah, and you can see I've got some chocolatey thing. And to, to your point on, on a you know on, on a new environment, if this is a new server, it wouldn't have .NET Core, wouldn't have the .NET Core hosting infrastructure on it. Um, you know, so uh, you know I'm, I'm configuring that. I'm also you know configuring the um, uh, you know, this will actually create my IS application pool. Um, you know, so so if this wasn't there on that machine, it would configure it. And if it already was there, what I could actually do is, um, just as an example, if I wanted to change the identity of that pool, if I re-ran this against my infrastructure, it would actually change the behavior of the app pools um, on all of, in this case, there's two servers, but, but this becomes much more powerful story if there's hundreds or thousands of machines instead of connecting every one or building a PowerShell script that has to connect every machine, you know, PowerShell remoting or introducing whatever other dynamics that, that come up with, with remotely connecting the machine. And this way we can actually um, a job or command to have those machines pick up that work and say, okay, uh, you know, change your, your configuration. I like yeah. 
good. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, do you have another question there, Shannon? No, I was, I was going to say, so is, is, that, is that the biggest amount, like thousands of servers? In that, that, that's the biggest. It's uh, it, in, in S thousands and, and growing. Uh, so their, their strategy is literally to put the agent on everything. So their application stack is um, for similar reasons of the other customer I was talking about where they have needs for high performance compute infrastructure. Um, they're... Um, uh, you, you know, this this customer also has similar needs to have higher end machines. Is that that some you know, f uh, you know, financial work is actually being done on these servers? So so you can't run in a traditional app service environment. So so it has has to be VMs, and that and then it gets you know because they're a um, software provider, they have some security guidelines and rails they have to work within that makes it. Um, such that really impairs um, purposefully their operations team from being able to get access to your, uh, you know, maybe Shannon as a customer to prevent them from getting in, into her subscription just arbitrarily. So DevOps solves that because now they remove the barrier of having a person needing to do anything or needing a person to have uh, physical or logical access to, to that environment. And DevOps and only DevOps has access to those production environments. And that's the tool they use to be able to, it, so it's an interesting scenario because they actually, you know, a lot of customers tend to start with doing things manually and then automate. And in their case, it has to be automated. So if it cannot be done in Azure DevOps, uh, they uh, haven't found anything that can't be done in Azure DevOps. But, but just using that as an example that, that the, they're, they have a forced function for their operations team that any fun, any operation they want to perform against their their infrastructure has to go through here, even if it's an ad hoc thing. Very cool. So now, uh, did they have any sort of CI/CD tooling prior to Azure DevOps, or was this their first? They did not. Um, well, I guess I shouldn't say that. Not entirely. So yes, they they were using. Um, the kind of predecessor to DevOps, the Team Foundation Server, um, to do source control and some of the other features we talked about on that that little ring diagram we showed. Um, but they, their their automation, their deployment was all done through through really hand coded PowerShell scripts. They still use a lot of that PowerShell, but it's actually invoked from uh, from these DevOps pipelines that are actually you know running that PowerShell locally on the machines. Um, so they so they no longer need to have access to all these Active Directory, uh, you know, tenants to be able to perform work. So then they just have a process if it's needed and necessary. But um, but you know, by and large, they do all all of their day to day actions through through this. Very cool. Yeah, this is awesome. I think um, I mean this really helps to piece it together for people that I think are getting getting started here. Yeah. Uh, I guess to kind of wrap up here as we're coming up on time, any. Uh, any final thoughts, words of wisdom from your years of getting into the space and, you know, to the point you're at now where, you know, you've got white source and all these other plugins you're putting in here and, you know, for somebody who's just starting out to kind of get in where you are, like, what have, what have you seen pitfalls to avoid, you know, anything uh, that you think is worth, uh, worth mentioning? Um, so, you know, I, I would suggest starting or thinking about the, um, automation first when it comes to deploying and configuring infrastructure to be able to support, uh, you know, and I'm going to use the word application generically. It doesn't have to be an application. Uh, you know, my other example, it was a Windows service. Um, so, I mean, that is kind of an application, but, but you can use 
tooling to be able to, uh, you know, automate any aspect of, of your physical infrastructure, your physical or, or, or um, you know, logical infrastructure. So I, I would definitely encourage, um, you know, the audience to start thinking about that. And then, um, you know, the white source, and, you know, I didn't really even dive into that, but um, that's actually, you know, I can pull up my, the report for this project because it does actually highlight a couple packages that I'm using. Um, it's kind of one of those uh, do as I say, not as I do uh, situations. happens, <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> so I've got kind of an older Node.js uh, package that I'm using um, that's got some vulnerabilities. And this is, uh, this is bringing, bringing uh, forward that, was doing some static analysis on my oh, that's interesting. on my code, uh, and telling me there's some very high and significant vulnerabilities in this particular version. Um, you know, so I mean, if I if I were a customer, I would, and this was an application that was, you know, uh, you know, important other than just a simple demo. I would be pretty concerned about some of these vulnerabilities. But um, uh, yeah, so this is a really really powerful kind of pane of glass. You can see, you know, these are significant vulnerabilities, and these are um, yeah, the ones that are orange are, are um, you know, either medium vulnerabilities or things that maybe, um, you know, there's a vulnerability that I'm not actually invoking. So like if I'm calling an API um, or using an API, it will actually tell me, okay, there is a vulnerability in this, in this version that you're using, but your code isn't impacted by it. So, so it actually gets down to that level of scrutiny in your application. I think we might have to have a follow-up one day on uh, DevOps vulnerability management during during builds. You know, it's probably a whole topic in itself, right? right? Absolutely. So, yeah, 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 yeah. This is a, awesome. a pretty powerful capability. Cool. Well, well, thank you for uh, sharing your screen and walking us through all that, um, yeah, Shannon. Yeah. Any uh, any other thoughts from your side uh, before we thanks. kind of wrap yeah, up? Yeah, thanks for taking the time. I know that's always the the hard thing, right? Is trying to find the time, trying to make sure you've got the time. So we definitely appreciate that, Ryan. Yeah, no problem, happy to help. Yeah, so with that, you know, uh, yeah, thank you, Ryan. Appreciate you coming on the show. Th uh, Shannon, you know, thank you as always. And yeah, to all our viewers out there, yeah, I hope you continue to enjoy uh, enjoy these episodes. And I think this one, you know, if you haven't tried Azure DevOps yet, you know, based on the last three as we've been introducing you to the people culture side of things, this is where you can actually start to see some of that automation come to light. So again, uh, Ryan, thank you again so much. This was awesome. And uh, Shannon, thank you as always. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Thank <laughs> you.